you open to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 27, we're going to continue our series through 1 John in this wonderful book, and we've titled the series Overcoming and Assured, as that seems to be John's encouragement to us is to, to become uh, assured of our faith and to live a life that's overcoming and not defeated. This morning is a unique passage. I'm going to read it and we're going to pray and then just see what God has for us. I'll be reading verses 18, chapter 2, through verse 27. Follow along. Children, is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have remained with us, or they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is a promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. You have no need for anyone to teach you. But as this anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. We know it's true. And we invite You, Holy Spirit, to teach us. To open our eyes. To impart truth to our mind. Holy Spirit, that You'd search us. And surface anything that's not of you. And Lord, might the end result be we hear your voice this morning. You bring clarity where that's needed. You bring confirmation where that's needed. So that in all things you are praised by the way we respond to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You have faced this this week more times than you probably realize. You faced it from the media, from politicians, you faced it from advertising, maybe the home shopping network, you faced it from sports, you have faced it throughout your life from history, it's called deception. Deception. Read the history, the chronicles of history, it's filled with deception, read Uh, stories and and, um, articles, listen to those who would proclaim one stance but really have another agenda. We are faced regularly by deception. And it amazes me the ease with which many people are deceived. John's writing to a people who are facing deception. It's very unique what he talks about. He, he first of all talks about that they'd be alert to those who seek to lead them astray. Look what he says to them. Verse 18, children, it's the last hour. 
We should stop there. The last hour. The time in which they live, John describes as the last hour. It's an expression which is found only here in the New Testament. However, in several places in the New Testament, this expression such as in the last times are found, which we could say are parallels, same concept. In some cases, those refer the last hour to a whole period that began with the coming of Jesus Christ, and we'll wrap up at the second coming of Jesus Christ. In other cases, the last hour refers to that part right before his coming. That part really, that closely immediate precedes his coming. It's used in both contexts. And this corresponds, obviously, I think, with Paul's teaching in several places, and Peter. And Jesus in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 also talked about the last days and what would take place there. John believes that he and his readers live in this last hour because he sees all the things that are happening around him. And, and actually, he could have seen a lot in Jerusalem taking place and kind of the, some of the fulfillment of the prophecy there, which would have caused him to step back and say, certainly, this is the last hour. And not only does he see what's happening around him correspond with the predictions concerning the last hour, verse, eight, verse 18 references the fact that they'd heard about this. They'd already been taught some things about this last hour, and specifically these antichrists. And so by saying, as you heard, he indicates that teaching about the antichrists, about the antichrists, is known to his hearers. So John says, we're in the last hour of deception, he says to them. This is an hour which the spirit of antichrist will become increasingly more active, is what he warns them. And warns us. What about that phrase Antichrist? It's the word only used by John, that particular word. The word anti can have two meanings clearly, the one against or in opposition to. The other meaning can be in place of. It's the idea of counterfeit. So it can be opposed, opposition, or in place of. And so John uses this word, this phrase, He's specifically speaking, first of all, if you look at verse 18, it's the last hour, Jesus, you heard that Antichrist, other translations, the Antichrist. So he's referring first and foremost to a figure, a specific figure. This Antichrist goes by other names in the Bible. Daniel 7, he's called the little horn. Daniel 9, he's the prince that will come. 2 Thessalonians 2, he's the son of perdition or the man of lawlessness. In Revelation 12 and 13, he's called the beast of the sea, this Antichrist. Now if we had to put those passages together, we learn some things about this Antichrist that really relate to what John's saying. And I'm going to go through them. I don't know if you want to try to take notes, but you can try. 2 Thessalonians 2, he's called the man of lawlessness who is coming. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Jesus said, there's false Christs, there's prophets who will come. First and second John, the Antichrist, is coming. Revelation 12, 13, John sees the beast who's coming and rising from the sea. Another factor, 2 Thessalonians 2. This Antichrist, he will oppose and exalt himself against every so-called God. Revelation 12 and 13 says the beast from the sea, blasphemes God. 
Second Thessalonians 2 says this Antichrist, he will take his seat in the temple and he will proclaim himself to be God. Amazing. He would do that. Matthew 24, Mark 13. This particular figure would be desolating the sacrilege standing in the holy place. Also referred to the abomination that causes desolation. Revelation 12 through 13. Humans are forced to worship an image of the beast from the sea. So this Antichrist figure will exalt himself seeking to have others basically worship him. 2 Thessalonians 2. The author writes, when I was with you, I told you about this. So Paul was sharing to them, he told them. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Jesus said, I've told you about this beforehand. First and Second John, as we, obviously as we just read, as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Revelation 12 and 13, John informs his readers of what is to come. The point is, in each of these passages, there's a warning. This Antichrist is coming, and he has an agenda. It's to exalt himself. And how is he going to do that? He's going to deceive people. But we read more. 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about this mystery of lawlessness, which is already at work. First and 2 John, now there are already many antichrists. So there's this principle, there's this dynamic that's related to the antichrist's agenda that, would, that John would refer to them as antichrists. And so we'll talk a little bit about connection there. We know from 2 Thessalonians 2 that this figure, this Antichrist, he will come with great signs and wonders. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 that false Christ, false prophets will show great signs and wonders. Revelation 12 and 13 says this beast from the earth performs miraculous signs to deceive the inhabitants of the earth. 2 Thessalonians 2 says this Antichrist will deceive those who perish. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 that they lead many astray. They lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And we read later from Revelation 12 and 13, the beast from the sea makes war against the saints. And we could continue to talk about more parallels. But the point is there is a figure called the Antichrist. He set himself up against God and his main weapon is one of deception. Now, a number of significant things we get from those passages, these cross-reference, and from 1 John that's, that are important. They're, you could call related facts, but they kind of help us with the context of these verses. One is, it's clear that the coming of this powerful Antichrist figure was part of early Christian teaching. As John says, as you have already heard, Jesus said, Paul said elsewhere, it was something that was taught. We don't often think about that as far as what was taught these early Christians, but that was taught that there was coming this figure called the Antichrist, this man of lawlessness. Secondly, in early Christian teaching, a distinction was made between the great Antichrist figure, who will appear near the very end, and the lesser Antichrist figures, whose influence is already being felt. And so there was a distinction being made. We see that clearly in John. Thirdly, it was widely recognized that the function of both the Antichrist and those who preceded him these antichrists, plural, was to deceive people. Fourth, in all the sources except First and Second John, the antichrist figures attacked the church in a sense from without. But in First and Second John, we read that these antichrist figures who are, ident are identified erstwhile members of a Christian community. In other words, they seem to attack and deceive from within. 
So it's unique, the direction and the angle from these attacks. Now one of the great questions that arises in respect to these antichrists is whether we are to regard them as purely human phenomenon or whether we are to see behind them some spiritual force. Now if I think if we put the New Testament passages together, it's probably best to say that while the antichrists are now experienced as human entities, behind them there's another force making war against God and His people. In verse 19, those whom John describes as antichrists were in fact once members or hung out among the Christian community. Yet they denied Jesus is the Christ and they tried to lead the readers of this letter astray. It was the focus of their deception. Many years ago I had a, a teenage boy who was part of a small group. I was leading a discipleship group. His name was Justin. Great guy, a lot of energy. Seemed to have a lot of energy for the things of God. And Justin went away to college. And he came back for a graduation party and we were talking and he had gotten a hold of a novel. A novel that taught false teaching about Jesus yet presented it as the truth of historical Jesus. You might have heard of it, the Da Vinci Code. And this particular book, this friend Justin just took off with it. Treated this deception as if it was truth. As we talked that day, my heart broke as I saw how deceived my friend was. And what was the main issue about his deception is who Jesus was and is. And that is really the clear focus here. That's as the passage unfolds, we deceive, and we actually we get some hints, I should say, the activities of these people who were leaving the community is that they deny Jesus is the Christ. And that's really the primary deception we got to make sure we're aware of. Anybody comes along and presents a Jesus that's not real, that's not biblical, we see demonstrating a spirit of these antichrists. That's why there were creeds in the early church. These creeds were written because they were prompted by deception going around the church and these heresies. We've been surrounded through history. Muhammad, Joseph Smith, Charles Taze Russell, and a large stream of those who would come as, in a sense, antichrists. Those who would come deceiving the church. How about a modern example? Benny Hinn. And I'm reading his words. This is his claim. Each person in the Trinity is actually his own Trinity. And in that he denies who Jesus Christ said he was. Obviously, if you know him, he contends, God intends everyone to be healed. But his primary deception that I'm mostly concerned about is who he says Jesus is. And that's the attack here. There are some coming from within the community who are proclaiming Jesus wasn't the Messiah, that he wasn't the Christ. And the focus of deception John's concerned about, the focus on who is Jesus Christ. Why is this so important? Jesus said in John 8, 24, if you do not believe who I claim to be, you'll die in your sins. That's pretty serious stuff. <laughs> That's pretty sobering. No wonder John was concerned about it. No wonder John wants to call on the carpet those who are promoting these false teachings and deception. Well, what does John call them to do in light of this? He doesn't just dump it and say, hey, you got some deception deceivers among you and walks away. 
No, he says there's some things you can do, and we see it in verse 24. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. There's another word in the NIV called remain. That's, that's used in the sense of that abide. And you certainly can have a, um, parallel words that really are speaking the same thing. The key here is those John originally wrote to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. Because that truth was part of the message they'd heard from the beginning. This was part of the message they'd first believed. That Jesus was the Messiah. And that he was the promised deliverer. That was the message they'd heard. And he calls them back to the gospel. He calls them back to stand upon the gospel truth. And this is what the anointing they had from the Holy One taught them. The gospel. And one of the strategies John urges us, and his hearers, to employ against the influence of the false teachers, is hold to the very message of the gospel. The truth that John taught about Jesus Christ. This is one of the main things, again, we employ against the deceptions around us as we cling tenaciously to the cross, to the gospel, to the gospel truth. He pointed people to the message of the gospel as they first heard it in truth. It's a strategy which is employed elsewhere in the New Testament and certainly needs to be practiced today. The blessed blessing stated in the verse is in a situation where the message remains in the person, they receive the benefit and they receive the Son or remain in the Son and the Father as he talks about that. Those who responded to the Gospel, those who remained in Christ, the benefit was they remained in the Son and in the Father. In verse 25, he says, this is the promise which He Himself made to us, eternal life. God made it, you can take it to the bank. And that's assurance. It's a statement of assurance He's making to them. Now look at verse 27. He talks about this anointing again. As for you, the anointing which you receive from Him abides in you. You have no need for anyone to teach you. We'll stop and talk about this. This anointing, whatever this anointing is, it enables us to know the truth. And in some sense, removes the need for teachers. Although God says He raises up teachers in the church. But ultimately, God uses these teachers to communicate something by His Spirit. And so as you and I listen to teachers, what we're listening for is not necessarily that particular human figure. We're listening to what the Spirit has to say through His Word. So any teacher that doesn't preach the Word, we shouldn't be listening to. We should listen to those who stand in the truth and preach the truth. And the Spirit takes that truth and ministers to us and opens our eyes to it. Now, apart from a metaphorical use of the verb to anoint in Hebrews 1, that word is consistent use in the New Testament is in relation to an anointing whose agent is God, whose instrument is the Holy Spirit of God. So describing this anointing that the readers have from this Holy One, I think is best interpreted as a reference to the Holy Spirit with whom they had received when they gave their life to Jesus Christ when they first believed and who confirms to them the truth of the message that they heard. And so knowing the truth about Christ is a gift to the Holy Spirit. This anointing they had received, this anointing enables them to remain in Him, to abide in Him, and to live in Him. And this is a good lesson. The Holy Spirit doesn't send you and I off to seek out some new revelation. The Holy Spirit doesn't send you and I to try to seek out 
the latest fad. The Holy Spirit drives you and I back to the truth. He'll guide us into all truth, is what we're told. And that anointing which remains in you, that Spirit of the living God will drive you and I to truth. He'll drive us away from deception. That's why we need lean upon the Spirit to teach us. And verse 27 talks about all things. This needs to be understood in a context in which the subject under discussion is denial of Jesus Christ. God's Son came in the flesh. Everything they need to know is taught them by the anointing they received, the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, verse, end of verse 27. We'll read all of it again. As for you, the anointing which you receive from Him, it abides in you, it remains in you. You have no need for anyone to teach you because you have the Spirit of God within you. You have this anointing. Ultimately, if you read in Acts, there was a, a great passage where the Bereans were of no more noble character than the Macedonians, for they searched the Scriptures to see if the things Paul said were true. What were they doing? They were sitting opening the Word and say, Spirit of God, does what you're teaching me line up with what Paul's saying? We look at Paul and say, Super Apostle. Certainly he's teaching truth. But these people were concerned. They wanted to make sure which I hope is what you do. I hope you go home, read these scriptures, and say, Holy Spirit, was that guy up front, was he, was he, was he on track? <laughs> was he lined up with what God's Word said? Because you have the Spirit within you to teach you, to guide you to truth. You don't need to be dependent upon me or any other teacher. We come, teachers help. Obviously, God calls teachers and equips them as part of the body. But there's no really replacing you sitting and feasting upon this truth and letting the Spirit of God open your eyes. That's wonderful times, and those who do that can testify how time flies when you open the Scriptures and all of a sudden you're an hour into it, and like, oh, Spirit of God that was rich. And we depend upon that. Which leads us to some necessary applications, I think, come out of here, which we really need to grab a hold of. One is we need to be aware that there will be false teachers who come among the body some of those individuals I mentioned before who began to start cults were at one time part of a congregation. They came out from the midst of a congregation. We live in an hour and need to be watchful and on guard for deceivers, for they are around us. John tells the congregation then and us today to live watchfully, to live carefully in light of the last hour. You see, not every preacher on TV, not every preacher on the internet is speaking truth. We need to be discerning. But we need to be aware that they're out there. Because if we're not aware, we're not going to step up and try to evaluate things. We need to be aware. It requires certainly leaders, and I'm grateful for elders who are discerning and well-studied. We all need to hold up God's truth and the teaching of His truth as the standard. The second application is these antichrists or these false teachers it seems they always put forth substitutes for Christ. Something else you and I can lean on, can turn to, other than Jesus. And this is a lesson for every young Christian, certainly for all of us. The devil wants you and I to take a substitute for Jesus. As long as we don't take the real thing. He'll settle for us taking a pseudo-Christ. Or something that is like Christ in person, but it's not the real Christ. Because as long as we miss the real Christ, we've been deceived. And that's his ploy. If you think, I don't really think for one moment that Satan really, his initial temptation is that we would all bow down and worship Satan. 
I think he's shrewder than that. His methodology is that he would turn you and I away from Christ and who Jesus really is. Even if it's called Jesus, even if someone claims the name of Jesus, be discerning. It could be the enemy putting forth a counterfeit. We know he's the deceiver and the great liar from other passages of Scripture. And the key focus of deception here in this passage is on who Jesus is. Anyone who comes along, he says he's just a man or he's a myth or he's just an angel, is a deceiver. Matter of fact, if you go to 1 John 4, John reiterates again that this is the key issue. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And who is this, who is this one that, uh, that confesses that Jesus, or doesn't confess Jesus? Verse 3 goes on, And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, Matter of fact, it's now already in the world. We'll stop there. And so the key issue of deception, and we need to really, really be careful and really zoom in on this, the key issue is who Jesus is. So be especially aware of that. And the third application, the best way to stand up to deception is to know, to believe, and to live out the truth. He gives two imperatives in these verses. Verse 24, let the word abide in you. And verse 27, abide in him. That's good counsel. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Paul says elsewhere. Open this book, this this Bible, God's word. Let it dwell within you. And then walk in the spirit. And when we do those two things, we're going to be protected. God's spirit will protect us. So guard yourself against deceivers, these antichrists, by loving the word, by living it, by praying it, by memorizing it. Before the pages, before these words, lay yourself before the Spirit of God and say, teach me. Teach me, Holy Spirit. And so get in the Word. Walk in the Spirit. He will teach you. And He will protect you. While there are false teachers, and while there are deceivers, we are people of the truth. So stand upon God's truth. It's our hope to live in overcoming and assured life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the warning this morning. We thank you so much that you look down the corridors of time. And your word is so powerful, it could teach and warn people in John's days. And even warn us in the same way today. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your enlightenment the way you cause us to see through your eyes. Please continue to guard us. Keep us close to your heart, walking in tune with your spirit. And Lord, keep us, keep our noses in your word, especially more as the day draws near. We love you, Jesus. We worship you, our God, our Savior our King. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Greetings in the name of the Lord. You know, thank you, Matt, for your message. You know, when 